Observing the night sky is a captivating and enlightening hobby that allows us to connect with the vast universe that surrounds us. Each month brings new opportunities to explore the wonders of the night sky. Hello and welcome to Cosmic Corner, the monthly What's in the Night Sky podcast from me, Paul Evans, current president of the Irish Astronomical Association in Belfast and vice chair and former chair of the Irish Federation of Astronomical Societies. And me, Sinead Mannion, of the Connemara Astronomy Club. Greetings, Earthlings. Oh, sorry, I mean listeners. A welcome to our What's in the Night Sky podcast for September. Hello, Paul, our first podcast. This is exciting. I'm so glad we're doing this. Well, hello, Sinead, and it's uh, it's good to good of you to invite me on here, actually. And uh, this is really going to be quite fun, isn't it? Uh, um, so uh, let's, let's, let's crack ahead, shall we? Very good. So I think it's such a great idea to have a sky diary. I don't know, well, I know you're on top of these things, but I always seem to find out about stuff the next day. So, um, so what do we have coming up the month ahead, Paul? Well, in September 2023, residents of Ireland have an exciting celestial show to look forward to. From the radiant beauty of the Milky Way to the dance of the planets, here's your comprehensive guide to the night sky for September. Now, we'll start off not with the night sky, but looking at the sun, because that's a particular interest of mine. And Solar Cycle 25 is the latest of the 11-year cycles and is expected to peak in 2025-26. The lowest minimum in over 100 years occurred in 2019, so we're well on the way up from that now. Um, This cycle is doing better than expected, in fact. Um, Probably a bit higher than Cycle 24 that came before it. Um, Closer to Cycle 23, which was quite lively but probably not quite up with cycle 22, which peaked in 1991 and was a very big maximum, so somewhere in between. Um, The current active areas on the Sun, there's two large areas of activity on the Sun at the minute. Um, We call those active regions 3413 and 3415, and those are both large complex structures with quite a good possibility of flares coming from them. Uh, Sunspots can explode Uh, leading to a coronal mass ejection which speeds up the solar wind of charged particles between the Sun and the Earth to 3 or even 4 million kilometres per hour. So they travel that 150 million kilometres from the Sun to the Earth in just two or three days. Um, The the Earth's magnetic field uh, comes into this a lot, and if it's lined up well with the Sun, uh, we can get Aurora Borealis, or Aurora Australis in the Southern Hemisphere. And that's when the Earth's magnetic field channels solar wind into the upper atmosphere around the poles and causes different atoms to glow different colours. So you get purples and greens and reds and violets sometimes. Um, Very spectacular thing to look at. Uh, The magnetic fields line up particularly well around the equinoxes. Um, 23rd of September coming up and, uh, and the 21st of March, of course. And those dates and the few weeks around them are good times to be looking out for auroras. That's called the russell mcferrin effect, where the magnetic fields line up. Oh, okay, Paul. So you said two to three days that after these um, events happen that we might be able to see them here on Earth. Um, can we see them in Ireland? Like, is there a website that we can follow or an app or something? Well, there are. There are various places. Actually, um, the IAA's own website, um, irishastro.org, um, has a whole page uh, dedicated to Aurora. There's a tab along the top, um, and that's got some real-time data, and even tells you gives you some clues about the weather. 
um, which is, which is oh. handy. Um, there's an Aurora UK group on Facebook um, and they get a lot of early alerts. There's people in Scotland post to that when they uh, see things happening. So that's a good guide. And also, of course, um, lots of information about the sun on spaceweather.com, which is NASA's page uh, dedicated to, to space weather. Okay. Oh, okay. I know you've been really lucky enough that you seem to get um, a lot of roars up there in the north, but could we see them down south? Could we see them in, like in Galway? Could we see them this far down? Yes, definitely. Um, they do have to be just a little brighter to go that further south. But uh, um, but I've seen some great pictures from County Mayo and, and not far from you. So um, so yes, definitely, it does happen. Um, where I live is quite good. I can just walk down to the beach here and I've got a completely dark sky to the north because it's, it's, it's looking through that gap between Northern Ireland and Scotland. Wow. Pretty good for me. Very, very lucky. That's brilliant. I moved here especially. <laughs> I say that. <laughs> um, anyway, let's 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 move on a bit and have a look at the moon. Um, now the moon is actually full on the thirty-first of August, um, and we start the moon. No, sorry, the month or month <laughs> with, with a slightly waning uh, gibbous moon just past full, which continues to rise later in the evening, and that reaches third quarter, which is like the left half of the moon illuminated on the 6th of September, so that shows a half phase. Uh, and that rises around midnight at that point. So actually the part of the evening before that, you've got a nice dark sky for deep sky observations. That's it. Yeah. And you can tell a little bit on that, um, what we can look out for for the deep sky observations as well. That's great. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. I'll just finish talk, talking about the moon. The moon is new on the 14th so that's to say there is no moon you can't see a new moon um, but what you can see is in the days afterwards you see a thin crescent moon which gets progressively thicker on subsequent evenings shortly after sunset um, don't go looking for the thin moon while any part of the sun is still in the sky one because you won't see it okay. um, but you may also end up inadvertently looking at the sun which is uh, not a good idea at all Oh, and damage your eyesight and stuff there. Mm -hmm. um, it's also really September's not the best month to be looking for thin moons. Um, there's a thing called the angle of the ecliptic. Um, and that means that the moon um, in September in its crescent phases stays quite close to the horizon. It doesn't rise up very high. Okay. Um, February would actually be a much better time to be looking for, for, for thin moons. Um, so that's that. And and the moon reaches the first quarter um, on the 22nd, close to the equinox. So aurora observations may be easier after the moon sets around midnight. Oh. And the moon is full again on the 29th. Oh, very good. Brilliant. So, yes, so I was going to mention... Go on. Sorry, I'd say... Uh, sorry, go on, you say mention? Yeah, I've just, just mentioned one thing, actually, that um, the moon at the moment... You've probably seen some uh, stuff on the TV and the papers and stuff. Yeah. Um, they're, this, they're calling this something very rare which it isn't really but it's they're calling it a blue supermoon yeah what the blue, that and a blue moon i'll explain the blue moon bit of it is just an accident of our calendar really that um that the, the moon from full to full um takes 29 and a half days to go from one to the other and of course a month is 30 or 31 days yeah so sometimes just sometimes in august is one of those times 
you can fit two full moons into the same calendar month. Okay. That's what's happening with this one. The second one is then called a blue moon. It's not blue. In fact, it was distinctly orangey when I looked at it last night because it was quite low down in the sky and we're looking through a lot of dirty air at that point. Um, but uh, it's not blue. The other thing, the super bit, um, the Earth, uh, well, well the, the distance between the Earth and the Moon changes a little bit. It's, the orbit of the Moon around the Earth is not completely circular. Um, it's eccentric, a bit elliptical. Yeah. And um, sometimes it's a little bit closer and it looks bigger, and they call that a supermoon. Oh, okay. uh, it's a term that really comes from astrology, so not of too much interest here, really. But, but, <laughs> but all this, all this, I do say that if it gets people looking up, then that's okay with me. You know? So, well, that's the sun and the moon for this moon, as you call it. So, what planets can we expect to see in September? Well, there's a couple of planets uh, um, showing really well at the moment. Actually, um, Saturn uh, is visible in the evening from about 9 p.m. onwards. And it's quite low this time around, but uh, the rings are still putting on a good display. Um, the rings sort of open up and close up in a 12 or 13 year cycle. And they're currently um, sort of headed towards the edge on um, situation. They will be edge on in 2025, which means we can still see them quite well now. Um, also, Saturn has just passed opposition, which is to say the Sun, Earth and Saturn were in a straight line on the 27th of August. And what happens there is that the main body of Saturn casts no shadow on the rings. Um, that changes a bit as, as, as we move away from being in a straight line and we're looking um, to Saturn slightly from one side, then you see a shadow of the body of Saturn on the rings. Um, and the rings are a bit brighter around opposition. That's due to a thing called the Seeliger effect. Um, and that's where the ice crystals uh, in the rings are actually reflecting light straight back from the sun and it makes them look brighter. Now, I'll just explain a bit more about the rings because uh, this is what people want to see. And I'm afraid that you do actually need a telescope um, to see the rings, although a small one is quite good enough. Um, 30 times magnification is really what you need to start to see the rings, and a bit more shows them better. Um, binoculars, 10 by 50 binoculars, they don't quite show the rings as rings but Saturn will look like a bit of an oval to the trained eye so you can see that there's something different about it um, but you need to get to 30 times magnification to see that that's actually rings that's that's good to see that's what um, I, th I find that you know I think of Saturn as sort of the the gateway drug into astronomy actually once you've, yes. you've seen, once you've seen Saturn through a telescope that's it you're in you know it's a yeah, so anyway, um, also equally fascinating, um, a little later into the night you can see Jupiter. And again, a telescope provides the best view, and even a small telescope, um, you can see the equatorial bands and, at the right time, the great red spot. Now that's a storm that has been raging for at least 300 years, and it's big enough to swallow up the entire Earth. Uh -huh. and that, that's just Jupiter and to a lesser extent Saturn, what you see on the surface there is all weather because they are gas planets um, and they're huge. Um, Saturn, you fit a thousand Earths into Saturn. Sorry, in into Jupiter, what am I saying? You can fit slightly fewer than a thousand Earths into Saturn, but you can fit a thousand into Jupiter. Wow. Uh, now, another thing you can look at with Jupiter, um, a pair of binoculars will show the four Galilean moons and 
If you look at that over a series of evenings, now you know we don't often get a series of clear evenings in Ireland, but uh, you know you can you can hope. Um, if you look at those through the binoculars, you'll see that the four moons are changing places as they orbit around Jupiter. Wow! Galileo saw this through his telescope in 1609, um, and that led him to challenge the the notion that was conventional at that point that everything in the sky orbited the Earth, which we now know, of course, is not the case at all. Mm -hmm. um, one other planet we'll mention. Um, for the early risers amongst us, which is sometimes me, I sometimes have to go to work early in the morning. Um, Venus is a spectacular object in the pre-dawn sky, and it's getting higher and brighter at the moment. Um, it's quite close to the dawn at the moment, but it is rising further away from the sun. Um, and binoculars or a telescope will show at the moment that it's got a crescent phase, um, like a young moon, only much smaller. Um, and that phase is increasing as, as September goes on. But also Venus appears smaller as it moves further away from us. Yeah. Um, Venus is actually at its brightest. Those two things combine, um, the, the, the thickening of the crescent and the, and the getting smaller of the body as it moves further away. Venus is at its very brightest on the 19th of September, and that's brighter than anything in the sky apart from the sun and the moon at that point. Okay. There's some other planets um, not so well placed this month, so we'll talk about those another time. Robert's a pity. Okay. So, if someone has a telescope out and they're looking at the rings of Saturn, as you said, or the four Galilean moons of Jupiter, or maybe even the crescent phase of Venus, um, is there other, any other celestial objects to look out for in the, in the sky for September? Well, yes, there's uh, lots of deep sky objects, and, and they remain fairly constant. They change throughout the year as our orientation um, in relation to the rest of the, the galaxy and so on uh, changes, but deep sky objects of note. Now, if you look south, um, around about 10 o'clock to midnight sort of time, that's a good time to be looking. Uh, look south, you'll see three bright stars in a triangular formation. Um, and those stars are called Deneb, Vega and Altair. And Sir Patrick Moore christened that asterism, as it's called, um, the Summer Triangle, and you can sort of see why. Yeah. Uh, it's actually best looked at in sort of September, October and November, but uh, um, he calls it the Summer Triangle. Um, but uh, And one, one of the things that's important about it, there's lots of interesting objects there which we'll pick up on in uh, later episodes, but the Milky Way runs right through the Summer Triangle, and it's one of the best bits of the Milky Way to see. It's called the Cygnus Rift. And you're looking, there's two distinct parts to the Milky Way. And actually it's the dark bit between them that is um, star clouds sort of between us and a lot of the, the galaxy. Uh, and uh, so there's that. Um, you can follow that down past Altair. And then you see the clouds of Scutum. And you go down into Sagittarius. You can see Sagittarius this time of year. Um, and you can see the teapot asterism, which is one of my favourite things, because it, uh, um, it really looks like what it's called. I was going to say that is a great name. People will definitely remember that one. As you see that, you go, oh, teapot, yeah. Now, what we can do is um, a little bit of what we call star hopping, which is how um, astronomers find their way around the sky um, when you haven't got a computer-controlled telescope to do it. <laughs> and um, we're going to look above and to the left of the Summer Triangle and find the great square of Pegasus. Now, this is four stars, quite bright stars, 
um, in a fairly obviously big square um, formation. And we'll look at that square and look at the top two stars and remember the distance between them. Uh, then go to the top left of the square, bear right a little bit, and then follow a line the same distance as, uh, as you were looking at the two stars. So then you come to another bright star called Mirac. And stop at Mirac, um, take a sharp right turn, and just go a short distance, like about one finger wide or so, to the less bright star, Mu Andromeda. And then go the same distance again, and you're looking for a faint fuzzy pat, which may be easier to see if you look at it slightly off-center. We, we call this averted vision, um, and it's to do with rods and cones in the eye. And actually, the center of your vision is very good at colors, um, but not quite so good at low light. And if you look just a little bit away, you can often see things that are a bit dimmer. Um, and if you see that fuzzy patch, then that's the Andromeda Galaxy, Messier 31. It's, uh, it's around two and a half million light years away and is another galaxy even bigger than our own Milky Way. But the important thing to realize there is that when you look at that, you are looking at it not as it is now, but as it was two and a half million years ago, because that's how long it's taken the light to get to us. Yeah. Wow. Um, okay, we'll look at some more things in the, in the sky. Um, in, in the northern sky, uh, the most prominent sort of asterism, it's not quite a constellation, is the plough. The plough is seven stars, the seven brightest stars in the constellation Ursa Major, the Great Bear. Okay. Um, the Great Bear is a bigger area than just the plough. The plough is called by the Americans the Big Dipper. And I like their name better, actually, because that's what it looks like to me is a Big Dipper. You've got your, your three stars in the handle. Yeah four on the end in a sort of bucket formation and what we'll do first of all we'll look at something in the handle the second star up the handle is called Mizar and I like Mizar I think it's a fascinating star um, because it's a good test of eyesight it's a naked eye binary star okay. and the other star that you can see next to Mizar quite close to it um, is Alcor and when you actually get a telescope on them, a fairly fairly powerful telescope with 50 or 100 times magnification, mm -hmm. you can see that Mizar is itself a close binary star, two stars of very similar brightness. Um, and then you need a bigger telescope to see that Alcor is itself a binary star. And actually in between Mizar and Alcor, there's a, um, a third star of the eighth magnitude, which is also a binary star um, on closer examination. So Mizar is really a six star system and they are all not just in the same direction they are gravitationally bound together in the same sort of place so that's that now what we'll do next we'll go back to the the bucket end of the plow and the two end stars we'll take them now i want you to imagine this is star hopping again i want you to imagine the distance between those two end stars and follow the line up about five times the distance between those two stars and you'll come to another bright star and that's Polaris, the pole star. Pole star is not, as some people think, the brightest star in the sky. It's far from it, but um, um, but it is sitting right above the North Pole, almost. And so, when you look at those photographs of long-time exposures of the northern sky, with the, the stars going round and round and round due to the Earth's rotation, yeah. the one in the middle that stays where it is—that's Polaris. Okay. And if you look at a one of those photos, you'll see that Polaris is not quite dead in the middle, it's, but it's good enough. Um, and it's good to have a star that's uh, easily findable. 
like that because when you're aligning a telescope to the sky that's a really good place to start um, now you can follow that on through we'll we'll come to the end shortly but uh, um, you could just one other thing you can follow that through that line from uh, the plough up through Polaris keep going same sort of distance again and you come to the W of Cassiopeia um, and that could be an M if it's the other way up in your sky, but uh, depending yeah. on what time of year you do it, but uh, M or W of Cassiopeia. And that also has the Milky Way flowing through it, not as bright as it is in Cygnus um, that we looked at earlier, but um, but still pretty good. And one other thing we'll do, if you go to the bottom uh, corner of the W, those two <laughs> stars at the end of the W, the left-hand end, as, as, as you look at it, Yeah. And imagine a sort of an isosceles triangle um, with the third point on it about twice as far away as the stars are apart. Mm. And again, look for your faint objects there. And you may see, um, again, averted vision is good, um, the double cluster in Perseus, which is two open star clusters very close together. Uh, it really looks quite effective, looks superb through a telescope. So that's a trip around the night sky, and that's... Um, things to see in September and we'll be back to talk about more in October. Fantastic. Brilliant, Paul. Um, I think that is the best description of how to find the stars I've ever heard. And even I might be able to find the objects. So thank you so much, Paul. Um, let's hope for clear skies now and um, we'll see you all next month. Thank you. Right, thanks. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Cosmic Corner, the monthly What's in the Night Sky podcast. This podcast was produced, written and presented by Paul Evans and Sinead Mannion. Tune in next month. Stay safe and keep looking up.